1: What would you like the power to do?
0: Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA member FDSE. Our guest this week is responsible for piecing together one of the most detailed books on Beatles history. Dubbed the world's foremost authority on the Beatles, Mark Lewison spent 10 years writing and researching his 900-page book, Tune In, and it's only the first volume of three he has planned. We caught up with him ahead of the tour of his new Abbey Road show, Hornsey Road, which starts in September. I'm Ellen Kerwin. And I'm Laura Davis, and this is Beatles
1: City. Ellen, 10 years is a long time to work on one book.
0: Yeah, but he actually spent weeks at a time researching just one simple fact. So if he was to come to Liverpool, he'd spend weeks here, really, like, making sure he visits every source, every day. And a lot of the time was spent actually building up trust, he told me, with some of these people who'd never been interviewed before and had really, like really pivotal facts about the Beatles, but they'd never actually spoken to anyone before, no journalists or no historians. So he actually had to spend a lot of time talking and getting to know them and he stayed in touch with many of them as well. So the
1: thing that's so different about his book is that he doesn't take anything without checking out the source behind it.
0: Yeah, if he, if he doesn't know where it's come from or if he says if he hears anything that sounds slightly off, he just won't include it in the book whatsoever he needs to make sure everything is 100% a fact and any myths that he does here he just disregards them he doesn't even take them on board or try and like dig to the bottom of them he just disregards them completely.
1: So it's been more than five years now since the first volume was published so what's he what's he up to now?
0: Well he's currently um, touring the Abbey Road show but he's also Straight into his second and third volume now, um, which he's saying he's finding a lot easier because the first book really did focus on them um, when the Beatles were still in Liverpool and they were still a relatively small band. But obviously, in the second and third book, they've really blown up and they're now international. She said, if anything, he's found it easier um, to verify some of these facts, and there's a lot more docu- a lot more documentation on the Beatles at that time. <laughs> Hi Mark, thanks so much for meeting with me today.
1: Thank you, Ellen, thanks for having me on.
0: So you spent about 10 years crafting tuning and the response was incredible. What was it like for you to get a response like
1: that? Uh, Oh, it was lovely, of course. Uh, I mean, it's it's the worst thing in the world, I would imagine, for a writer to have nobody pay any attention to what it is you've done. Um, So I'm really obviously very gratified that that it was so well received by people and sold a lot of copies as well. Um, I always knew, I mean, it's the Beatles, so it has plenty going for it in the first place, but um, I always knew that the story needed to be done differently and 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 much more uh, maturely if I can use that word so um, I always felt the story was there it just needed releasing and uh, that's what I did.
0: I think a lot of the success comes from the detail you included would you say so?
1: Yeah the first volume is really Liverpool and and it's a Liverpool history that I write uh, with great passion because I love Liverpool And I love the people in it, but also its history. And um, so, though I never lived there, I wanted to take the reader right back into the moment on those Liverpool streets and in the clubs and houses and... Yeah, it was a great thrill to be able to do that.
0: During your research, did you come to Liverpool much?
1: Oh, yeah. (laughs) Goodness me, yeah. Uh, I think I went there, I think it was 27 times I was there during the course of researching the book, um, often for a week at a time. And, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, I I really, I knew it anyway, but uh, Liverpool was somewhere that I'd always visited and then left again. This was the first time I'd really spent a lot of time there. And, uh, and spending also in archives and traveling around you know i really got to every nook and cranny in the city and in the end i was doing lots of long long photographic walks there um, amongst the places that haven't been gentrified or haven't been improved that they are just more authentic to their time Um, i love all that
0: as you've said your research did take you back a lot What was it like to sort of to do that and really time travel back to a different era?
1: I mean, the answer to that probably is the fact that I was born in 1958. So the 60s to me uh, are familiar. They're not just something that happened way, way back. I actually do understand the mindset and the news stories and the way of reporting that they everything had in those days. Uh, and that means I also understand the 50s pretty well as well. It's not just like this alien planet, like a 20-year-old today would find the 50s or the 60s, everything being so different. To me, it was all quite familiar. Um, so I just needed to immerse myself in it. Um, and that immersion comes from the passion of wanting to get it right uh, and and being so engaged with the history and the story as I am that um, it's just part of my personality, really, to go deep
0: Were you always a Beatles fan? And did this draw you to doing a book such as this?
1: I can't remember life without knowing the Beatles. Um, Their big national breakthrough was 1963 and I was five years old and I was hooked, completely hooked. And I don't really have any memories that predate that. So, uh, yeah, they've been there all my life, Um, but I've known them... in the sense that i was a fan getting records in the 60s um i feel like i've been part of this from the start but the bit of it that always eluded me was before they were famous you know um you know the liverpool period the liverpool and hamburg years um but i'm just intoxicated with the whole story so um just made it my business to find out everything i could whilst also at the same time being conscious of what not to use that people tell you because you have to be aware as a historian that you can't use everything you're given because some of it is suspect.
0: What was the most surprising thing you found out and you were actually able to verify? Uh,
1: I wish I had an instant answer for that and the the book is absolutely packed with them Uh, I mean before it came out I predicted there will be a surprise on every page and a lot of readers have been in touch with me to say you were absolutely right so it's hard for me to cherry pick just one um but just the very act of researching it deeply broadly and deeply uh including a lot of places that have never been researched before and then putting it together in a way that laying it all down i liken it to a jigsaw puzzle it's about finding every possible piece of the puzzle that you can And laying them down and seeing what the picture is. And then you've you've got the whole picture if you stand back. But if you look really closely at it, you've got all the detail. And so it's both at the same time. And um, I can't think of a single one. But believe me, it was just constantly surprising. All right, there's one one quick one. Um, I discovered that between Alan Williams, who was the Beatles' first manager, and Brian Epstein, who was obviously their main manager, that they were also managed by two girls that that i never knew until i actually spoke to them and i I tracked them down for another reason not for that one just tons of stuff you know i was being surprised all the time while i was researching it and i meant to be the guy who knows it all you know
0: how did you go about verifying the facts from the myths?
1: There are many different ways, really. I mean, you verify what you can, how you can. Sometimes having one person tell you something is all you're ever going to get. There is no one else around to verify it. But that relies then on, on the researchers' and the historians' instinct for what is trustworthy and what is not and there are there are people who you, you you know people from talking to them, and you you suss them out and and you and you probe and try to find out what validity there is to what it is they're saying, and at the same time you also a little alarm or a big alarm goes off inside your head when you hear something that is doesn't sound right and that that sense comes from the long years of doing this for a job it does you can't just pick it up overnight it has to come with the with the territory of doing it
0: was there ever a point where you thought that you wouldn't make it to the end of the book
1: no no I'm, I'm quite a driven focused person so I always knew what it was it had to be at the end um And the same is true now for Volume 2 and then ultimately for Volume 3 as well. There are many years in the making, but there's always a a destination goal. And I never for a moment think I'm not going to get there.
0: So what can your fans expect from a sequel? What will Volume 2 and what will Volume 3 be like?
1: They can expect me to follow the story everywhere it goes, which is pretty much a worldwide explosion, first a national, then an international explosion. And I'll be following it everywhere it goes Uh, and following constantly the Beatles in the middle of it all, looking at them and their lives and the lives of the people who were dear to them, their families and so on. When they leave Liverpool, the book will not. The book will stay in Liverpool as well as be everywhere else as well. So I'm going to tell the whole Liverpool 60s story, Uh, the other acts, the people who, who had known the Beatles and how they coped with the association of such a big thing and all of it, really.
0: Have you found that your research has got harder or easier as, you know, as it delves into the Beatles more? And as the Beatles got bigger, did you find that there was more um, archives around for you to look into?
1: It's kind of easier in the sense that um, there's a lot of experts out there for elements of the Beatles story. And I'm, I'm able to call on them, their help. So when the Beatles go to Spain for example I don't speak Spanish and uh, there's no way that I can deeply research the Beatles in Spain because I didn't grow up in Spain and I I can't understand the ramifications of how they changed the youth culture there um, because I don't really know what it was ever like before and uh, I don't speak Spanish to do the interviews and so on but there are beatles in spain experts who can fill me in completely and who i can send off on research missions and come back and tell me what they found and so on so there's going to be you know the the high standards possible will be maintained um and i'll endeavor as i always do to make no mistakes at all but probably impossible to avoid them completely um but nonetheless that's that's how it's being done but the book Principally, is still an English, British story, um, because the, it's all happening here. Though the Beatles' impact is felt around the world, and though they do travel to certain foreign countries, they're still living in England, with you know, um, and working in England, and their families are in England, uh, and they're responding to news stories and so on that are in, in in the British press.
0: Do you find that myths are actually quite a big problem for you in your research?
1: Again, not really. I you know, I I don't I I pay no attention whatsoever to myths. It's a word that comes up often when I speak to people about and the book is, you know, dismantling myths and all of that. But I don't consciously I don't give my myths any headspace at all. I'm really focused on what did happen. And um No. No, if there if there's something happened, I'll find out about it, and if it didn't happen, I ignore it. So um People think I set out to dismantle myths and I don't. I really don't give them any regard.
0: Over the years, you must have met some really amazing people close to the band. Have you ever had a moment where you've really felt in awe by somebody you've met?
1: I'm not often in awe of anybody. Um... I got the greatest pleasure on TuneIn from speaking to the fans of the Beatles in Liverpool. The original, authentic, absolutely authentic fans, like the Beatles' very first fan was a woman called Pat Moran. Um, Literally, she was their first. They ended up with tens, if not hundreds of millions around the world for more than half a century. But there had to be a first, and I found her. And she was a wallace girl called Pat Moran. Um, uh, and she had wonderful stories. They were all completely true. She had letters. She had things to back up everything she said, and she had never given an interview to anybody before because nobody had bothered to find her, and she was one of many Liverpool fans whose company I greatly enjoyed and whose humanity I really warmed to. Um, like Sue Houghton, Sue Cement Mixer, as she was known, and Linda Ness and her friend Lou Steen and Bernie Boyle, who started the fan club, uh, who now lives in Los Angeles. Um, Great Liverpool people with wonderful values and tremendous genuine stories that have never been told before. Beatle books always tended to have the same people interviewed over and over and, over and 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 everything got trodden flat and was lifeless. And I knew that the Beatles story was much more exciting than that. And I just needed to find the people who would unlock it. And Liverpool people were, came up trumps. But they I had to gain their trust first, you know. I had to prove to them that I was worthy of their story being told. Uh, that they could tell it to me safely and that I would respect it and respect them.
0: Do you keep in touch with these people at all?
1: Yeah, loads of them. <laughs> didn't intend to make friends with them, but made a made a nice human connection with quite a lot of people on that book and, and do keep in touch with them, yeah. Um, because it's natural that you would, you know, once you've made a strong connection, it's natural that you would just kind of, well, keep in touch and then you do. So, um, you know, I spend probably too much of every day doing emails, but um, it's nice to keep in touch with people. Of course it is. And I'm interested in them and their lives, you know, and they're interested in mine.
0: So you're about to head out on a UK tour. What can you tell me about this tour?
1: Yeah, um, it's the first time an album has been toured by a speaker um, instead of a band. So it's... um, it's me doing a two-hour theatre presentation uh, about the Abbey Road album uh, for its fiftieth anniversary this autumn, and the show—the show is called Hornsey Road um, for reasons that will become clear in the show—and um, it's going to be me telling the stories of how the album was recorded, the stories of the songs and the people who made them. You know why they wrote, how and why they wrote those songs. Uh, and how and why they were recorded and the time they were recorded. So it's going to be a little bit like um, kind of a bit of my third volume, which is not yet written, um, being done in a theatre a few years early. Um, a contextual and interesting history and a kind of uh, done as an entertainment.
0: So Liverpool is a place that you're going to be visiting. Will you be sticking around after the tour at all?
1: Uh, oh, I've kind of done all the sites, but I mean, yeah. I, I usually try and get a photographic walk in somewhere. Because uh, I do love the Liverpool architecture so much, um, but no, I'm, the tour is going to be a really hectic one. And uh, but I, you know, I, if I can have any extra time in Liverpool, I always do.
0: Thank you so much, Mark, for taking the time to come and speak with us, and I hope the tour goes really well.
1: That's a pleasure. Nice to be on.
0: Thank you so much.